0: With that in mind, let's continue in our series this morning through the book of Psalms. Amen? Amen. Yes. All right. We are in this beautiful, wonderful, fantastic book that we have been journeying through since the beginning of January. And I don't know about you, but I am consistently amazed. I'm always nervous. I'm always nervous. Let me just say that. Always nervous when I have to do a message. Now, you would think after some point that I would not be nervous about giving a message. Church, hear me on this. I am nervous right now. I am nervous right now. I hide it well, right? But I, but I am nervous right now. I get a little chatty Cathy-ish, you know? But nonetheless, um, it, it, what is interesting for me in the book of Psalms is I am doubly nervous because it is such a beautiful book. It's a book of poetry. It's a book of singing and songs and worship. It is really helping us answer the question, what does it mean for us to love God? What does it mean or what does it look like for us to love God? And so we have been journeying through this beautiful book, hopefully understanding and learning and getting a better picture of what it means for us to love God. Uh, And and along the way, when I've had the opportunity to share, um, I've been sharing different quotes from different theologians and, and, and pastors about their perspective on the book of Psalms. This morning I want to share... A perspective from c.s lewis about the book of psalms and he says this and i think it is so relevant for our message this morning he says this the most valuable thing the psalms do for me is to express the same delight in god which made david dance i love that i love that the most valuable thing the psalms do according for c.s lewis is to express the same delight in god which made david dance now i don't know if we're accomplishing that mission here I hope we are. That there is such delight in the book of Psalms that I don't know about you, but I, you know, that we could just just praise him and just worship him and just be excited about the fact that we're in a relationship with him. And, and it's just a beautiful, wonderful thing that we can in some ways dance, maybe not physically, okay? Maybe some of us are dance challenged, that's fine. Um, but maybe dancing on the inside. I think of that story when the Ark, do you remember the, uh, that story the Ark of the Covenant was finally brought into Jerusalem? After they had finally read about how to properly carry the ark after before not doing it well and a person died Right doing it. And so they had to leave it at this guy's house and say just don't touch it. Whatever you do They went and read about how they should handle the ark They came back and finally figured out how to handle the thing and they brought the ark after it had been captured by the philistines Remember this story And they brought it into jerusalem and david was so excited That the ark was coming back into jerusalem that he danced he danced. In fact, in many ways, he debased himself. He stripped off his clothing. He was just had his undergarment on, and he was dancing before the ark. His wife didn't appreciate that. Of course, she was the daughter of Saul, so it didn't take much for her to get angry, but nonetheless, uh, she used that opportunity to kind of just really criticize David for what he did. You debased yourself. You embarrassed. You are the king, and you sat there, and you you don't even have rhythm, and you are dancing in front of this thing. You were dancing in front, like a fool. You were dancing in front of this thing, and David said, essentially, I don't care. God is back in Jerusalem. His presence is with us once again, and I'm going to dance. Amen. Christians, brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I think sometimes, as followers of Jesus, we are more apt to want to just kind of just be sad and brokenhearted and there are times for that to all happen and for us to kind of just be a woe is me and there are times when that is absolutely necessary and that's where we are but let me just say this there is also times for us to dance and to celebrate and to praise and to worship and we are still in easter we are still in the shadow of the empty tomb forever that's it that is a reason to dance That is a reason to have just unbelievable delight in in Jesus Christ. And as Christians, the best thing I think, or at least one of the best things we can do is to just be excited in his presence, period. Right? I don't know about you, we have a dog, I've shared this before, he's a a good dog. He's a puppy still-ish, he's two years old. But nonetheless, it's always when, when Maggie and Dawson come over, when Maggie and Dawson come over particularly, that dog will jump three feet in the air, so excited to see them. That dog, wherever, if the dog is outside and he sees them, he will paw at the window and he will jump at least three feet in the air kind of thing. I'm wondering, do we have that same response when we come into, into God's presence that, man, we are so excited to be here, man, there is no other place that we would rather be than in the presence of Jesus praising him, amen? amen. That's where I want us to be this morning. Because the psalm we're going to look at, I think, ought to give us good reason to dance. The psalm that we're going to study this morning ought to give us good reason to be excited about the fact that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we're going to be in Psalm 116. If you have a Bible with you, you may want to turn there. If you don't know where the book of Psalms is, just go right to the middle of your Bible and open it up, and chances are you will land right in that book. It's right pretty much in the center of your book, in the Bible there. And this is a beautiful thanksgiving psalm or a praise psalm out of all the different kinds of types of psalms that there are this is a praise or thanksgiving psalm and the author is oftentimes ascribed to be king david now we don't know ex- the exact situation that he was facing but we do know the outcome we do know the outcome and david shares or rather gives his testimony of what god has done and who he is So let's dive into the first four verses here of psalm 116 and take a look What is it that god has done for david that has made david so excited? So grateful like he wants to dance in god's presence This is what david writes at the beginning of verse 1. I love the lord Pretty simple right and this is why for he heard my voice, he heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. Did you catch that, church? Did you catch why David, one of the reasons why he loves God, is that God heard him, God listened to him, God was actually attuned to what David was saying. That God heard his cries for help. That God actually was listening. Let me just say this. Yes, God speaks. There is no doubt about that. And God speaks all the time. But here's another aspect of that we need to realize as well. Is that God also listens. And he is listening to us. He hears us. If you ever think whether or not your prayers are being heard, let me affirm today that I believe that they are. Any prayers that we pray, God hears them. He may not answer them the way we want him to answer them, but he definitely hears them. He listens to us. And, and, and I, I, I want to share the way that he listens to us isn't the way that I listen oftentimes, and I apologize ahead of time, um, just by nature of being a man um, who is easily distracted, um, that, that I don't oftentimes, and I admit this, have my full attention oftentimes um, when I'm talking with people. Sometimes I don't always have my full attention. Like I'm easily distracted. Like I see people behind that. What are they doing? What's going on over there? Or something else like that. Or, or I'm reading something and, and I, and I got to put it or I'm watching something. And I always have to make that conscious effort whenever my wife or my kids or anyone else comes in to make sure whatever I, I am doing or whatever I'm pretend potentially be distracted by, I've got to put that aside so I can listen to you. God is not distracted. He is not deficient about the intentionality of hearing you and I every time we pray to him. He is intensely focused on what we are saying to him. Okay? He is God. He can handle it. He can handle multiple conversations, I am confident, at the same time. He can multitask. He is capable of it. Even if we think we can multitask, which, by the way, if you believe the studies, we really can't do that very well. We can't multitask, okay, as much as we think we can, but God can. He can listen and he does listen. I love, later on throughout scripture, there is this this vision or or picture of how God listens. He actually stoops down to hear us as though a parent hearing from a child, a young child. What is it that you're saying? What is it that you're, I want to really listen to you. I love how one person says this. When we pray, God hears more than we say. He answers more than we ask. He gives more than we imagine, but in his own time, in his own way, according to his wisdom. So we need to keep on believing. 1 John 5, verses 14 through 15 says this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. God is always listening and he's listened to David's cries for help. But it's not only that. Here's what was going on with David. Verse three, the cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. David was facing death. We don't know if it was an actual physical death. We don't know if it was a death of another kind, spiritual, we don't know, but we know this is that David was facing death. Now here's the interesting word that I want to just talk about here. This word grave is very interesting because in the Hebrew context, there are several different words that could describe the grave or death. Most commonly here, and it's used about 65 times throughout the Hebrew Bible, is the word sheol. Okay? You won't remember that word. You don't have to remember that word. It's okay. But really, the understanding of Sheol was not necessarily hell. Okay? Sheol is not hell in a Hebrew context. What Sheol really is, is the place where everyone goes after they die. But here's the difference. It is the land that one goes to then which there is no hope of returning from. So it's not an act of punishment necessarily, as much as it is just a state that one is in forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. In other words, David believes that he is dying and that, that he will stay dead, that there is no chance for him to be alive once again. But here's what we read in verse 4. Then I called on the name of the Lord, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. That's it. Lord, save me. That is the beautiful thing. God not only heard him, he responded to him. He responded to him and actually saved David. And David loves God because of what he did and because of who he is. And I hope that for those of us who call Christ our Lord and Savior, that in many ways we are like David, and all of a sudden now we too love God, not only for what he has done, but for who he is. That he, that he too has heard our cries when we have cried out and said, Lord, save me. I love a couple of perspectives of the value and, and the idea of salvation and the gospel worked in here. Um, one Christian philosopher says this, Peter Kraft, he says this, we sinned for no reason but an incomprehensible lack of love, and he saved us for no reason but an incompre- incompre- incomprehensible, thank you, Excess of love. It's a beautiful thing. Timothy Keller says this, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet ver- at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. If you hear nothing else from me this morning, hear this. Jesus Christ offers us salvation for no other reason in that he loves us. He loves You. He loves me. There is no other reason except that. He loves us. Why does God love us? I have no clue. (laughs) I am unlovable. I don't know. Aside from the fact that he's created me, aside from the fact that he knows me, aside from the fact that he is who he is, there is really no comparable reason. I have done nothing in any way to say and be deserving of the love that God has shown to me, and yet he loves me, and he loves you all as well. Period. Period. Why does God save me? Because he loves me. That's it. Let's don't complicate this, church. Let's don't make this something more complicated than it ought to be. Because we are uncomfortable with this idea that God loves us and he saves us because he loves us because he offers salvation to us because he simply loves us there is nothing more that needs to be said except that period period that's it that's the beautiful thing he saved us because he loves us that's it. That's it. And David knows this, and he grasps this, and he finds this just unbelievably reassuring. I love God because he loves me, and because he saved me, and because he hears me, and because he notices me, and because I'm not forgotten. He loves me. And which brings me up like this, that God helps the helpless. David realizes this. God, I was helpless before you. Only you could have done what you did. Only you could have saved me. God helps the helpless. Now, by the way, this is a little bit different than what many Christians believe is actually in the Bible, which it's not, which God helps those who help themselves. That is not in the Bible. It was probably said by Benjamin Franklin. Maybe. He said a lot of good things. They're not all true. Okay? At least from the perspective of Scripture, um, that is nowhere found. Neither is the statement, God helps the helpless. However, we can find certainly Scripture that kind of alludes to that. Let me give you an example. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8 says this. You see, Paul writes, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And who's the ungodly? All of us. All of us. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know when Christ died for you and when Christ died for me? When we were utterly helpless. He did not come to us and say, well, I'll save you, but I need a little something effort on your end. Can you, can you give me a little something here? A little effort on your end. Can you, can, you, can you, you know, maybe be kinder. Maybe you can be whatever. Give me a little something something here. I could save you, but I gotta have a little something in return. God doesn't make that deal. Yeah, unconditional love. That means it's without conditions, right? There is no way. God loves people who don't even know Him. Church, hear me on this. This is so important. And this is one of the hardest things as a a finite human being in my finite mind that I cannot fully grasp, but I still try to pray it every day if I can, is this. God loves every single person, regardless of who that person is or what that person has done. Whether it's a serial killer, a terrorist, uh, a a, a nun, uh, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. God loves that person fully, even if we don't, we're conditional. God is not. God is not. In fact, let me just say this. I think a prerequisite in order to come to know Jesus is that you are not perfect. (laughs) Is that you don't have it figured out. Is that, I mean, seriously, I mean, you know, it's, yeah, it's like taking a shower before playing in the mud who does that who does that it doesn't make any sense it's like it's like oh I'm gonna meet God today I've got to get myself all all you know dolled up and look perfect you're not fooling him okay you're not David knows this David was known as a man after God's own heart and not only was it because he loved God so much he also knew that when that that when he messed up and David did mess up that he was the first one to go and say I messed up God please forgive me I am so so sorry I sinned against you and against you alone that is also a man or a person after God's own heart is what they do when they are confronted with the sin that they have committed period This is what David is saying, I believe, about all the things that God has done. And not only has God done these these things to David or for David, God has also done these things for us as well. So here's the question this morning. We're finally getting to the point of the sermon. And it's this. What can I give to God? What in the world can I give in response to what God has given me? Well, David's going to answer that. He's going to give us a picture of what we can give for everything that God has given to us. So let's go to verse 12 of Psalm 116, and he says this. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? Ah, verse 13. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people as well. So right there, David comes out and shares two things he will do. In my estimation, this is what I think he's going to do. And this is what we could do. This is what we can give God. I will give God both my thanks and my praise. We can give God our thanks and our praise for the one who saved us, for the one who, who, who gave us life, who did not leave us in a state of death we can give him our thanks and our praise. Do you realize how important it is just to simply say thank you, Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for saving me. Thank you so much for giving me another day to live. Thank you so much for allowing me to serve you this day as I seek to serve others. Thank you so much, Jesus, for my family. Thank you so much for all of these things that you have given me just for basic necessities, food, clothing, shelter. Thank you, Jesus thank you, thank you, Jesus. So simple. And yet I think it can be so easy for us to forget to just be thankful to God. By the way, we're not the only ones who've done this. There's a story in the Gospels in which Jesus healed people, guys who are are suffering from leprosy, and they go off, and out of all the guys, only one of them returns to say, hey, Jesus, thank you. Thanks for healing me. I have a life again. I'm no longer shunned by society. I can actually go to work. I can actually go to worship. I can actually have friends again. I can actually be a part of a society again. Well, I once, when I had this disease, I could not function in any of those realms. Now I get to once again have my life back. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And Not only that, but David says this, I will also not only thank him, I will praise him. I'm gonna just not only thank him for giving me this life, I'm going to drink it in deeply, this cup of salvation. I want to live this life more fully. I want to, I want to just be more dedicated to, who, to, to, to God in general. And I want to be more dedicated to, to living my life for Him because of what He has done. I mean, this is just kind of experiencing the more deeper life of salvation that God gives us. And not only that, He will praise Him. He will sing His praises. He will give Him His heart in all of this. I love how Charles Spurgeon shares about this aspect of praise. He says this, whenever we have to praise God, what do we do? We simply say what he is. That's it. Praising God is simply acknowledging who he is. You are this and you are that. There is no other praise. We cannot fetch anything from anywhere else and bring it to God. The praises of God are simply the facts about himself. If you want to praise the Lord Jesus Christ... Tell the people about him. This is who God is. This is who Jesus is. This is what he has done for me. That is a good testimony. That is a really good testimony. And David commits, or rather is saying, you know know what? I'm going to thank him. I'm going to praise him. And not only that, listen to what else he says in verses 15 through 19. And I love this. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Yes, we do have to die. It's just an aspect of life. Yes, like billions of people before us, we too will face death. But here's the difference. It will not be permanent. Sheol, this idea of the island, this, this journey to an island that we cannot return from is no longer the case with Jesus Christ. We do not stay dead forever. We will be resurrected with a new body in a new creation, praising God for all the things he has done, returning us back to where we were meant to be in the first place, which was the garden, right? Which the most perfect environment outside the womb, by the way, okay? Perhaps there's the next perfect environment is the womb of which we all were in at one point. And here's the bad thing about that is why can't we ever remember the good stuff when we were just fully taken care of? I would just love to remember the fact when I was an infant and I could cry and people would respond like that and give me anything I needed. In a mo- I don't remember any of those things. Does, does anyone else? If you do, man, hang on to that, right? The most perfect environment in the world, the womb, I have no memory of, none. But I will have a memory of what it's like to be in the garden once again. Because that will be permanent. That will be permanent. And and what I love about this is that God doesn't lose sight of those who have died, who have served him, who are his. You are not forgotten in death. I am not forgotten in death. We are not forgotten. God will remember. He will raise us. We will be resurrected. We will live once again. But here's the second thing. He goes on and says this. "Uh, Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I will serve you. Just as my mother did you have freed me from my chains I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst Jerusalem praise the Lord in other words David is not only gonna just thank God and praise God, he's gonna commit his entire life to him. He is gonna say, guess what God, I am gonna serve you as I serve others. I am gonna dedicate my life to you and I'm gonna do the best I can to live the kind of life that is in response to the fact that you have saved me. Not once again to, you know, to, to gain your favor or anything else like that, but rather as a result of you saving me already, I'm gonna live a life that is reflective of the fact that you have given me a new beginning. That is a beautiful thing. And guess what we get to do every Sunday? We get to come here in this place, and we get to sing, we get to praise, we get to thank God, and we get to once again commit our lives to Him to say, Guess what, God, I'm now going to go once again and live my life for you this week in a world that they too needs to know you, as I have known you. And that's a beautiful thing. We get to do this every single week. I hope whatever brought you here today, maybe it's out of habit, right? That's that's fine too, that's fine too. Maybe it's just out of routine, fine, fine. But here's the other thing, I hope regardless of what brought you here today, maybe you were forced to come, fine. (laughs) You don't have to stay. Uh, Unless your person who you got to ride with isn't going, then I'm sorry, you're out of luck. (laughs) I hope that whatever reason you came here today, if it was out of routine or otherwise, that you will leave here knowing that, you know what, the reason why I really came here today was to thank you, Jesus. The real reason why I came here today was to praise you, Jesus. The real right reason why I came here today was to recommit my life to you once again and to say, Jesus, I want to live my life for you.